Section 13 of Henry II by Louis Francis Saltzman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 7 The Rebellion of the Young King. Part 2. The Earl of Leicester on landing had spent four days in a fruitless endeavour to capture Walton Castle, but finding it too strong to be taken, although Earl Hugh of Norfolk had brought a siege train to his assistance, he turned aside and attacked Hawley. This fortress, held by Renolf de Brock, Becket's old adversary, was speedily captured and given to the flames, and then the Earl's initiative appears to have died out, and he was content to quarter himself idly at Framlingham until Earl Hugh gave him a strong hint that he was outstaying his welcome. At last he decided to try and reach Leicester, and on the 17th of October he started with the intention of passing to the north of Bury St. Edmunds. At the latter town the Royalists, under Humphrey de Boone, had been reinforced by troops under the Earls of Cornwall and Arundel, local levies under Roger Le Bygod, the loyal son of old Earl Hugh, and Hugh de Cressy, and a detachment of hardy fighting men from Ireland. Setting out with St. Edmund's banner at their head, they came upon the Flemings at Fornham St. Genevieve. In actual numbers, the advantage lay with the Earl of Leicester, but his followers were almost entirely infantry of poor quality, quite unfitted to cope with the powerful cavalry opposed to them, and it was only a matter of minutes before the Flemings had been ridden down and scattered, a prey for the country people who bore them no good will. Earl Robert and his cousin, Hugh de Chastel, were captured, and the gallant Countess Peronelle, clad in mail, falling into a stream in her flight, was with difficulty rescued from a death which he preferred to the disgrace of surrender. A halt was now made and forces collected to crush Earl Hugh, but with the aid of his wealth he bought a truce for himself, and permission for the Flemish mercenaries still in England to leave the country unharmed. Henry, having seen the captured Earl and Countess safely lodged in the castle of Falaise, led an army into Anjou in November, and captured Preuilly, La Haye, and Champigny, with a large number of men of rank. The year 1173 thus ended favorably for the elder king, and truces with the kings of France and Scotland ensured peace, until the close of Easter 31st March, 1174. But with the beginning of April the struggle began again. The Scottish king crossed the border and besieged Wark, raiding as far as Bombara, where William de Vesky's castle proved too strong to be attacked. Roger de Stutville offered a vigorous defense, and the besiegers' artillery proved more deadly to themselves than to the garrison. King William abandoned the siege of Wark and concentrated his efforts on Carlisle. He had been joined by Roger Mowbray and Adam de Port, a Norman baron, who had been banished and deprived of his English estates in 1172 for conspiring against Henry, and his army included the inevitable execrated Flemish mercenaries. Ruthless as these Flemish adventurers were, they were less inhuman than the savage highlanders and men of Galloway who accompanied them. From Carlisle, plundering bands ravaged and destroyed the northern counties, 
while more warlike expeditions captured the border forts of Little and Harbottle. Far more serious was the tame surrender of Appleby Castle, the aged Gus Patrick, son of Orm, the English constable of the castle, was possibly too old for his responsible position, and his lack of confidence would seem to have affected the garrison, amongst whom were the steward of Hugh de Morville, the murderer of Becket, and one John de Morville, probably connections of Richard de Morville, who was a prominent supporter of the Scottish king. This success was followed up by the capture, after a desperate resistance, of Bruff under Stanmore, and the general trend of affairs induced Robert de Vaux to obtain a truce for Carlisle on undertaking to surrender at Michaelmas, if not relieved before that date. Henry, after assuring himself of the loyalty of men in Anjou in the spring of 1174, had entered Poitou and inflicted a crushing defeat on the troops of his son Richard at Saintes in May messages had been reaching him for some time past from the justiciar who was besieging huntingdon urging his return to england and on his arrival at bunville in normandy on the twenty fourth of june he was met by richard of ilchester bishop-elect of winchester with news of the gravity of affairs there was no mistaking the significance of the selection of richard they could not have sent a more urgent messenger unless they had sent the Tower of London, and Henry at once prepared to cross to England. He accordingly embarked at Barfleur on the 7th of July, and being determined to leave no centres of disaffection behind him, he carried with him the Earls of Chester and Leicester, Queen Eleanor, who had been captured the previous year trying to reach the French court in male disguise, and Queen Margaret. The weather was stormy, but the wind was in the right direction, and Henry bade the shipmen set sail, saying solemnly, If what I propose is for the peace of church and people, and if the King of Heaven has decreed that peace shall be restored by my coming, then in his mercy may he grant me a safe passage. But if he has turned his face from me, and has decreed to afflict the kingdom with a rod, then may it never be mine to set foot on shore. The voyage to Southampton was accomplished in safety, and Henry at once proceeded, fasting, and with all signs of humility, to Canterbury, where on the 12th of July he performed public penance at the tomb of St. Thomas. The Bishop of London delivered an address on the king's behalf, disavowing all share in the murder, but admitting that his rash words had been the actual cause of it then after long remaining in prayer at the tomb the king submitted to a ceremonial scourging at the hands of all the monks of the convent of christ church finally he made a grant of lands to the monastery in memory of the martyr and probably at the same time settled a small income upon becket's married sister rose his other sister mary having been appointed in the previous year abbess of barking the news of henry's landing put an end to the plans of the younger king for the invasion of england which he had contemplated in company with philip of flanders he had even gone so far as to send over three hundred picked flemish knights under ralph de la haye in june they had landed at orwell placed themselves under the command of earl hugh of norfolk and having been repulsed from dunwich 
had captured the wealthy city of norwich by treachery and gained thereby great plunder if little military advantage this occurred on eighteenth june and the news apparently caused the justiciar to relinquish the siege of huntingdon leaving earl simon of northampton who claimed the earldom of huntingdon to win the castle and the county for himself as we have already seen an urgent message was dispatched to the king and about the same time robert de vaux obtained conditions for carlisle the scottish army being thus set free for fresh enterprises roger mowbray urged king william to move southwards to his assistance his strongholds of axholm and malzard having fallen before the troops of geoffrey the king's illegitimate son the young bishop-elect of lincoln and thirsk being threatened william preferred the less hazardous course of keeping near his own borders and laid siege to odenald de umfraville's castle of prudo the castle was strong and well provisioned and odenald succeeded in getting away to raise forces for its relief preparing to retreat into his own country the scottish king sent detachments of his army under earl duncan the earl of angus and richard de morville to ravage the country while he with a small body of knights made a demonstration against Annick. the english forces under ranulph de glanville odenald de umfraville robert de stutville william de vesky and bernard de balliol left newcastle at daybreak on the thirteenth of july and favoured by a mist surprised king william and his attendants close to Annick. william the lion did not surrender tamely but mounting his horse led his men against the foe the odds were too heavy however the king's charger was killed and he himself pinned to the ground by its fall roger de mowbray and adam de port fled for safety but the scottish knights fought for their lord so long as resistance was possible thus on the day possibly even at the hour on which henry completed his penance at the tomb of st thomas his most dangerous opponent was made prisoner the good news was dispatched at once by a mounted messenger who found henry resting at london where he had had a most enthusiastic reception upon his arrival the king who was unwell was asleep but the messenger would brook no delay and the news of william's capture which henry could at first hardly believe proved good medicine for the sick man the nobles at court were at once told the news and next day all the bells of london's six score churches rang in joy that the rebellion in england was at an end a few days later the king advanced to huntingdon which surrendered to him on the twenty first july he then turned to attack earl hugh's castle of framlingham and by the twenty fourth had advanced with his siege train as far as selham but next day the earl met him there gave up his castles of bungay and framlingham and agreed to pay a heavy fine for his offence and to make amends for the damage wrought by his soldiers he was at once restored to his earldom and his flemish troops were permitted to leave the country unmolested but not to take any property with them during this interview which took place on horseback in the open air the king was kicked on the leg by the horse of tost de saint omer a templar of prominence but the injury did not prevent his going to northampton where the last act of the rebellion in england was played <laughs>
Bishop Hugh Puise, who had brought over a detachment of Flemings under command of his nephew, the Count of Bar, on the very day on which the Scottish king was captured, had sent back the infantry at once, but had retained his nephew and his men-at-arms until the fortune of war had set definitely in Henry's favour. He now made submission, gave up his castles of Durham, Northallerton, and Norham, and dismissed his foreign allies. The Earl of Clare, who was believed to have been plotting action with Gilbert Montfichet when the latter fortified his London castle, tendered assurances of loyalty. Roger Mowbray surrendered Thirsk, Anscatel Mallory, who had defended Leicester so well, and had even attacked and defeated the Loyalists at Northampton, gave up his master's castles of Leicester, Gruby, and Montsorel, and Earl Ferrers, who not long before had sacked Nottingham, gave up Tutbury, which had been besieged for some time past by Rees and his Welshmen. Rees was rewarded by a grant of the castle and district of Emmeline, while the loyalty of David ap Owine of North Wales was recompensed by the hand of Emma, King Henry's half-sister. Although affairs in England had been settled so satisfactorily, there was no time to be lost. Taking advantage of Henry's absence, King Louis had pressed forward with the young King Henry and invested Rouen. The town was devoted to the elder Henry's interests. It was well provisioned and was in no great danger, but it was clearly desirable that it should be relieved as soon as possible, and on the 8th August Henry sailed for Barfleur, carrying his more important prisoners with him, and taking back not only the Brabantine mercenaries he had brought over in June, but also a number of Welsh troops. These latter, on the 12th of August, the day after their arrival at Rouen, crossed the Seine and made a bold and successful raid on the French camp, and next day a sally from the town resulted in the easy destruction of the defensive works of the besiegers' camp. When the war had opened just a year before, in August 1173, with the siege of Verneuil, Louis had showed a blend of treachery, cowardice, and incompetence, and now that the war was closing with this siege of Rouen, his conduct displayed the same features. Just before Henry's arrival on St. Lawrence's Day, 10th of August, the French king had declared a truce in honour of the saint, and then made secret preparations for storming the city. Fortunately, some priests, who happened to be on the belfry looking at the view, saw the movement in the enemy's camp and rang the tocsin. The citizens flew to arms, and the French took therefrom no advantage but dishonour and disgrace. On the day after the successful sally, the French burnt their siege engines and fled, Louis staving off pursuit by proposing a conference at Malanay next day, but again breaking his word and flying into France. Negotiations were opened on the 8th of September at Gisors, but as Richard was still defying his father in Poitou, a settlement was postponed, and Henry went in pursuit of his warlike son. A couple of weeks sufficed to bring Richard to terms, and on the last day of September conditions of peace were drawn up. The followers of the young king were released from the allegiance they had sworn to him, and were received back into the king's favour, and as full possession of their lands as they had at the time war broke out. Prisoners were released without ransom, 
except such as had already come to terms and also excepting the king of scotland the earls of leicester and chester and ralph of fougere all castles that had been built or strengthened during the rebellion were to be restored to their former condition and indeed so far as possible everything was to resume its previous existence the young king henry was granted two castles in normandy and a yearly allowance of fifteen thousand angevin money thirty six hundred pounds english richard should have two castles of no strategic importance in poitou and half the revenues of that province and geoffrey half the inheritance of constance daughter of count conan of Brittany, and the whole when he married her at the same time the young king agreed to the bestowal upon his youngest brother john of the castles of nottingham and marlborough and a thousand pounds from the english revenues as well as castles and rents in normandy anjou and men richard and geoffrey then did homage to their father but this ceremony was dispensed with in henry's case out of deference to his rank of king finally in december king william the lion obtained his release from the prison at falaise by becoming the vassal of henry and undertaking to hold scotland under the english king to ensure the fulfilment of this treaty the castles of edinburgh roxburgh berwick jedburgh and stirling were surrendered to henry the close of eleven seventy four thus found henry completely triumphant and the formidable combination of his enemies absolutely shattered End of section thirteen